Here's the lesson in front of us today on Abounding Grace. God wants us to live in His divine order because when we do, there's great power and purity in the church. And when we don't, the church runs rampant. And we need an apostle to write us a letter and say, Calvary, Aurora, what's your problem? Where's the pastor? Where's the leaders? What's happened? And I'm sure if we ever had to get a letter like that, we would be greatly humbled. And God would just be calling us back. Well, we did get a letter like that, didn't we? It's called 1 Corinthians. The church today has gotten a letter that says, get back to my order. Live in my power. This is amazing grace. If you've ever read 1 Corinthians 11 at all the talk about head coverings, maybe you were left wondering, well, how does this apply to me today? We're about to find out here on Abounding Grace as Pastor Ed Taylor continues his series in 1 Corinthians. God has established a divine order for your life and the church based on redemption and creation. When we walk away from that, we can expect some problems like the people in Corinth experienced. So let's see what the Lord has to say to us through his word as we join Pastor Ed. Paul's giving background where he says in verse 5, every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, and that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. That's very important to, to grasp. Her head was shaved. The shaving of heads was a sign of sexual immorality in Corinth. Remember, we have the temple priestesses coming down from the temple of Aphrodite coming down into the city. There was going to be false worship. And the outward look actually had, they actually had a message. And the women that their heads were shaved spoke. And he says in verse 6, if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is shameful, and there's the key, if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. The context, again, is always speaking to others. We have it backwards. We have it backwards in the church. We have it backwards in how we exercise our freedom. And the way it works now, and it's something that has to be untaught and unlearned, is it's all about me. I exercise my freedom for me. The church is for me. What activities do you have for me? What do you have for me? And then it just creates a church of inactivity of the believers. We're the church. It's not an organization. It's an organism of God. If you walk in here, what do you have for me? I promise you, you walk in here enough, you walk in to come to your worship service, what do you have for me, what do you have for me, what do you have for me? Eventually, we're not going to have what you want, and you're going to be mad. And you're going to be upset. And you're going to miss out that you're a part of the body. And it's not what we have for, for you, it's what we have for the Lord. In your giftings, in your talents. And Paul's just saying, consider the culture, guys. Consider the possibility of stumbling. Consider what, as you're praying, as you're prophesying, ladies, consider. Consider what your culture is. Consider, and when we go to Cairo and we worship with the believers there, in their custom, 
there still is a side where the women worship on one side of the room and the men worship on the other. And for us, that's just really unusual. There might even be in us a desire, change that, change that. But that's culturally what's going on. And because they separate, it helps them to worship. We would want to change that. No, you know, that's boy, girl, boy, girl, boy, girl, boy, girl, boy, girl. That makes us feel comfortable. But what makes them feel comfortable as they worship Jesus? What makes them more relatable to their culture? What makes their gathering more of a witness of unity and love? And in their culture, what speaks to their culture is women worship on one side and men worship on the other. And we accept that. I sit on the man's side and worship and enjoy the presence of the Lord. Because really, truly, when you're in worship, you're not really looking around the room, are you? (laughs) I hope not. It's like, well, you know, he only has his hand up three quarters. I wonder where his heart is. Or look at how there's, it's like you're caught up in the Lord and, and you're just enjoying the very presence of the Lord. It's not about, it's not ever to be about our standing in judgment on others, but rather we can bring this in to be culturally powerful and speak to our culture a message of the hope of the gospel. Eastern society at the time of the first century was very jealous over its women. And except for the temple prostitutes, women generally wore long hair. And in public, they wore coverings of their heads, respectfully. Paul didn't use the word veil here, a covering of the face, so that everything was covered and you couldn't see. The woman put a regular, like a prayer shawl over her head, a reminder of her responsibility toward the Lord. And so for Christian women in the early church, in the church in Corinth, for to appear in public without the covering, let alone pray or share the word, was both daring and even could cross the line of blasphemous considering the culture that they were in. Head coverings have none of those cultural meanings today for us in the day in which we live. They have no meaning whatsoever in that context. But back then... Women, as you praise, you prophesy, it's good that you cover your head. And then down in verse 7, for a man indeed ought not to cover his head since he's the image and the glory of God, but woman is the glory of man, and in the covering and not covering, it was speaking of God's divine order. It doesn't exist today. Unfortunately, some of you might have come or been involved in a church where these types of things, these legalistic types of things are used Again, to suppress freedom. To suppress the freedom that you have, ladies, to worship the Lord. And you know, there are certain, there are certain types of clothing. There are certain things that if we saw a man or a woman coming in here as the appearance of a prostitute, After assuring that they're saved and walking with the Lord, we may begin to speak to them about, you know, if a lady, we'd have one of the older ladies speak to them. If it was a guy, we'd have one of the guys speak to them, one of the elders, one of the deacons, even one of you that says it might be more appropriate in the context of our worship not to draw attention to yourself with that kind of clothing. That that you're drawing attention. Ladies, you're stumbling guys. And guys, you know, you come in with your big old chains and, you know, just all coming in. And like, hey, 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 it's, you're here to worship the Lord, not to draw attention to yourself. And whatever it might be, that's what's happening in Corinth. But it was deep-rooted in the heart of the people. 
I've said this many times before, the reality of the kind of ministry that we're in, not everybody in the worship service is going to be dressed like you think they should be dressed. You might even leave, well, you know, that's not Christian clothing. Well, what is a Christian wear exactly? I didn't know that there was a rack at Sears, you know. Christians shop here. Pagans shop here. (laughs) And the reason why there's going to be a diversity of clothing is because there's a diversity of people. And maybe there is an opportunity for someone to understand and grow in their level of knowing what modesty is. And I love this down here at at the end in verse 14. Some of you that like to, some of you guys that like to wear your hair a little longer than what normally would be. You might find somebody go, you, you got long hair, boy, cut your hair. And you go to, to like verse 14 and and even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him. Don't you know you're being dishonorable? You're a hippie or whatever it might be. And, and what a subjective, isn't the word long a very subjective word? What is long exactly compared to what? We know the heart from Leviticus, God reveals to that, that the limitation between men and women is when men try to be like women. And that's the essence of their long hair. They're trying to pretend through their clothing, through their mannerisms, through their voice, through the, their hair perhaps, through putting makeup on, whatever it is, to live a life. They're a man, but they're trying to live the life of a woman. And in our society, friends, you, I don't need to explain that to you. It's pervasive. It's acceptable. It's celebrated in our society. And vice versa. In the level of a woman wanting to look like and attempting to look like a man, that's the limitation. Ladies be ladies. Men be men. And we're not going to walk around with a measurement and, you know, what's, how, how's your hair doing? You know, a little long. And we have a, we have a haircutting ministry back in the corner to make sure you're all right with the Lord. <laughs> Paul's trying to bring back the church to a divine order. Just like he's trying to, that's the application for us. What is God's divine order in your life? God has established an order. And we do great error trying to mess with it. It's an order in verses 3 through 7, if you want to look at it later, it's an order based on redemption. In God's redemptive ministry, the Son was subject to the Father, even though he is equal with the Father. It's beautiful. In the same way, the woman is subject to the man, even as in Christ, she is fully equal to the man. Did you hear that? Submission doesn't speak of inequality, it speaks of order. And we do well when we submit. We all live lives of submission. There's peace and harmony. It's the way it is when you drive home. You're going to hope that the people on the road with you tonight as you go home are living in submission. Let's just take it out of the church for a moment. You're going to hope that the same, those yellow lines that are going to be right down the middle of the road, you know, the one that you're hugging as you're driving home? You're going to hope the guy on the other end that's hugging them thinks and submits to them just like you're submitting to them. That they don't decide, well, you know, there's traffic. I think I'll pass the W. I'll take my chances out of lack of submission. And as they're taking their chances, that's when head-on collisions happen. So I'm hoping that people, I, I am going to submit to the laws of the road on the way home. I hope. <laughs> as I look at the speed limit, as I look at the cars in front of me, as I look at the red lights, as I see the crossing traffic, as I see the lines that are, I 
have that desire on the way home to submit to the laws of the land. And my desire also is that the person around me, the other vehicles are also submitting. That's when peace happens. When there's a lack of submission, when there are people on the road that don't like the double yellow lines, they don't like the speed limits, they want to race or they run through red lights, problems happen. And you know, with that same illustration, that's exactly what happens in the church. I know discomfort comes up when we start talking about submission. I don't want you to misunderstand me and that a pastor's here teaching from the pulpit, blind submission, everything Ed says or the leaders say, absolutely do that. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches mutual submission. That's when harmony happens. That we mutually are submissive to one another and one another we're submissive to the Lord. There's order. God's design. When we mess with that, problems come. That's the point Paul is making here, that God's order in the church is based on two basics, redemption, verses 3 through 7, and creation, verses 8 through 12. God's order is based on the fact that man was created first, and the woman was both created from the man, he said, and for the man. And priority never means inferiority. That's man-twisting it. It happens in the church, it happens in our world. There's no dictation of submission. There's mutual submission. One more thing before we go. In verse 7, Paul says, really two more things. Well, maybe three. So let me, let me build on this just for a second. So verse 7 first. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. I like that. Woman is the glory of man. Let's bring that into the marriage. Bring that into our marriage relationship. You could circle that word glory and you can write next to it if you have room in the margin. It literally means the outshining or the reflection. So with those words, we plug them back in for the glory of God, but woman is the reflection or the outshining of man. And there's an application. For those of you that are married, grasp this, especially you husbands. You husbands, especially those that are upset right now with their wives or dissatisfied with where their wives are in their walk with the Lord. It's something to chew on. It's an interesting tidbit. I believe I first read about it when I was reading through John Corson's uh, commentary. And I, I thought, wow, that's something really to chew on something to think through. Those that are disappointed, those that are struggling, those that think that the essence of the problem in the marriage is the wife. Listen carefully. If you're disappointed in your bride, upset or tired or whatever, just understand she's a reflection of you. Wow. That's powerful. She's a reflection of your walk. Now, Ladies, 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 ladies. Understand, you have wives that are now and you future wives. This is not an excuse for your bad behavior. I look so ugly right now because he's ugly, you know. And I, no, 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 no. And I don't mean physical either. I mean spiritual. You know, he just straightened out. I'd reflect better or whatever. No, 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 that's not it is you're fully responsible for your decisions. We live in this 
atmosphere of blaming everybody for our, we become victims and it's all your fault. I would have never if you would have never. That's not what Paul's teaching here. But what he is teaching is that there is a reflection in that marriage relationship. There's a beauty that God wants to bring out in that marriage relationship. And as you're praying for your marriage, as you're praying for your wife, she reflects you in so many ways. And men, the best thing you could do in your home is to be the head of your home. That's the best thing you can do, to be the head, take the leadership that's already yours and lead your home, single, married, to fulfill God's order and role in your life. It's the best thing you can do. The worst thing you can do is not fulfill God's role in your life. The worst thing you can do is make excuses. The worst thing you can do is blame. The worst thing you can do is not, in the power of the Holy Spirit, do what God's created you to do. In verse 8, it says, For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. So you wives, you ladies, you're not in competition with your husbands. You're in a place of complementing, a place of completing. Every marriage I have the privilege of officiating, I mention that, not only to the couple, but also to everyone there, that marriage is an act of completion, not competition. There is no competition. There's no competition in the argument to win. What do you gain if you win the argument, but you lose a little of the relationship? What did you gain exactly? Maybe a little pride? Maybe a little one-up? And, and, and it never really leads to anything. <laughs> it does, it's not good. You're not at odds with one another. Your marriage, you may be surprised, it's not even a 50-50 proposition. Although that's very popular. Here it is, marriage, 50-50. It's not. God never, ever encourages you to be 50% of your marriage. You're 100% husband. You're 100% wife. And in that, you become complete. It's not 60-40, 30. It's 100% commitment, 100% commitment on both sides. It's beautiful. Because, ladies, you get to that place where, you know, amen. You know, you're like, uh, the poor guy, some of your husbands, you're like, your ribs are all bruised. You're like, yeah, I've been waiting for, I've been in this church for five years. I've been waiting for Pastor Ed to give it to him. Honey, <laughs> that's you. And so on the other side, if there's a wife that like, like doesn't have a husband that wants to lead, I could just tell you, if you're a husband that doesn't lead, your wife is not only frustrated, but she's greatly sorrowful. And you might be in the midst of arguing right now that that's not coming across, but her heart's breaking. She loves you. She cares about you. She's committed her life to you. And some of you have been together for so long, so many years, it's like they're, they're just breaking inside. They might not be crying anymore because their heart's so hard of all these times you never led. But you can change that. You just step up and be the man. Be the lead. But wives, you can't just sit there and go, you know, I want my husband to pull his own weight. You know, God does too. God wants him to do his share. But I'll often open up in those kind of situations where in 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter actually hits it on the head. He says that even if some of your husbands don't obey the word, that you without a word might win your husband by the conduct of your life. And so it goes both ways. 
I know that the some kinds, sometimes disorder happens in the house too because the, the attitude of the wife is, well, if he won't lead, I will. And you've disrupted the order. Certainly there are things you might have to take care of and you might have to step in. But wives, you never become the head of your home. And, and, and for you single moms, I know it's hard. You guys, you know, you're raising kids and you are like the head of the home. But God wants to, God wants to come alongside and be the head for you. He, the father, is the head of your home. And for those that are married, the father, head of the home, Jesus, and then you and I. And there's a place for all of us. If you're not married right now, perhaps in the future, God bring marriage. And this is the order that God has. You look at this and you get all stuck on, you know, a covering and not covering. Shave your head. Don't shave your head. You guys with long hair, you missed the whole point. The problem in Corinth was people were just not paying attention to God's order. It brought problems in the church and Paul's addressing them. And it happened to do with praying and prophesying and the covering and the culture and all that context stuff. But what does that look like for us? God wants us to live in his divine order because when we do, there's great power and purity in the church. And when we don't, the church runs rapid. And we need an apostle to write us a letter and say, Calvary, Aurora, what's your problem? Where's the pastor? Where's the leaders? What's happened? And I'm sure if we ever had to get a letter like that, we would be greatly humbled. And God would just be calling us back. Well, we did get a letter like that, didn't we? It's called 1 Corinthians. The church today has gotten a letter that says, get back to my order. Live in my power. Surrender yourself to me. Stop getting caught up in all these little things that divide and bring great unity in the purity of the gospel That's the place where the Shekinah glory of Jesus, he's just powerful in our lives. Because we know that this isn't an absolute for us. You know how we know that? Because of verse 16. Paul leaves it out. He says, if anyone seems to be contentious, like if this is such a big deal for everyone, we have no such custom, no due to the churches of God. He basically says, this is what it is as it relates to covering your hand. So, you know, here, here's, here's my advice. Do what you think is going to be best for your community. Make the decisions that you think will be best in reaching the lost. You're listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. If you joined us late or would just like to hear this message again, turn to calvaryco.church, or you can listen through our app, too. Search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play. If you take a brief moment to write or call, that would make our day. Let us know the station you're listening to, and if today's study was a blessing to your life, we'd also love to pray for you. You can email us through the website at calvaryco.church. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. And when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of Christopher Yuan's book, Holy Sexuality and the Gospel. This book will help you better understand sexuality in light of God's grand story and come to realize that holy sexuality is actually good news for all. Your generosity helps us provide the teaching of God's Word on stations all across the nation. We're constantly hearing from listeners that have been helped and are growing by God's abounding grace. Thank you for standing with us. Call 877-30-GRACE or visit calvaryco.church. With these final thoughts for the day, here again is Pastor Ed. So ladies, I think it's important for you to leave here just understanding the liberty and the freedom you have in Jesus, the value that you have, the important place you have in the plan and the purpose of God. 
how valuable your giftings are, how powerful they are when they flow through your lives, how God he wants to use you. If you want to cover your head, cover your head. We're cool with that. If you don't want to cover your head, don't cover it. We're cool with that. As long as you're getting your direction from the Lord. So, well, I, you know, I'm going to cover my head because I have to. Well, why do you have to? If you want to, that's different. But when you have to, and then, you know, okay, I have to, and then I, I want everyone else. I can't believe Calvary Chapel don't, they don't have head coverings and you walk in the door. Well, well, wait a minute. I didn't know that, I didn't know that that was a, a biblical teaching. Oh, it's just a tradition from my last church. Well, you can take every tradition here at Calvary, test it by the word of God. You can take every tradition in another church that you might have been on and test it by the word of God. And if we can all make an agreement to yield to the word of God, then God's divine order will take in place and we'll be able to be free to reach the city with the gospel. That's really what matters, right? Your life touching another life in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the key. Next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Tater, we'll get back into 1 Corinthians 11 and a passage that's often referred to during communion. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. 